Hey friends, great to be speaking with you today. And I'll start with a question. Who likes a bit of controversy? You know, sometimes that kind of that awkward moment, the controversial moment when when things are just a little bit awkward. Anyone anyone like those moments? I actually don't mind them. I actually quite like it when it gets a little bit awkward. Um, I've got friends who absolutely hate any kind of awkwardness, but I actually quite like it. I remember one time I was at um, a chat to a lady at the back of a meeting and I said, hey, you know, my name's Simon. Uh, what's your name? And she gave me her name. And I said, have we met before? And she let out a big sigh. She said, yes, yeah, she said. And every time we do, you say, hello, my name's Simon. What's your name? I remember a friend of mine also prophesied over this young couple and um, gave this kind of beautiful prophetic word. The only slight problem was I knew that they weren't a couple, but he was in his flow and there was just no stopping him. And yeah, anyway, it was only later we found out that they weren't a couple. And oh dear, it was it was awkward. <laughs> I remember um, another time I, uh, I was in a meeting and um, uh, the guy who was speaking suddenly turned to another guy who happened to be sitting on the platform and, and said to him, are you taking notes on your laptop or are you doing work? <laughs> and we all watched as he discreetly closed his laptop as we were all, I mean, he never responded, but we all knew he, was, he wasn't taking notes. He was doing his work or whatever. Anyway, so I love a bit of controversy. But um, the reason I ask that question is because today's subject, we are looking at probably one of the most controversial moments in church history. Um, we're looking at this huge controversy and it's as we start this book, uh, looking at this letter by um, the Apostle James. James was the brother of Jesus and he wrote this letter to uh, the early church. And I don't know if he knew it, but at the time he was going to spark off a controversy uh, thousands of years, uh, about 1500 years uh, later. And they were going to use his book as the center of that controversy. So let me give you a little bit of history. So this is an image of St. Peter's uh, Church in Rome. And over the centuries since the birth of the uh, church, the Catholic Church was now one of the two major branches of Christianity. And it had become, uh, from its original humble roots, had become deeply involved in the political life of the Western Europe. And and there were intrigues and there were political manipulations and, and the church's inc- increasing uh, power and wealth compu- contributed to the church becoming really bankrupted as a spiritual force in Europe. There were these abuses that were going on, uh, particularly the sale of indulgences, which was uh, the Catholic Church raising money to effectively buy people out of purgatory, which is the place they said you went when you died, kind of the place of spiritual judgment. And you could uh, buy indulgences to um, uh, enable your relatives, your dead relatives to get out of purgatory uh, quicker or not go there at all. And there are all sorts of other financial abuses going on. And and this was the state of the church. It was a dark time um, in the history of Christianity. But then October the 31st, 1570, uh, 1517, a monk by the name of Martin Luther uh, stamped his 95 uh, theses his, or complaints about the Catholic Church on the door of this church, the Wittenberg Church, which was a castle church in Wittenberg in Germany. And it was the all, eve of All Saints Day, the traditional date of the beginning of the Reformation. And this was the launch of the Reformation. And he argued that many of the practices of the church were uh, immoral. They were bankrupt and they needed to be repented of by the church. He actually didn't want to split the church. He wanted to reform the church at the time. Um, and he'd been trained that God was a God to be uh, a judge waiting on the sky in the sky to to kind of uh, um, condemn you for any slight uh, um, uh, wrongdoing. And, and the only way to kind of earn your place in heaven was to do all of these kind of works, these religious activities that would earn your uh, place in heaven. And you never knew whether you'd get there or not. You just kind of find out on the on the day. And 
Luther had begun reading for himself Paul's letter to the Romans and Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And and he, uh, as he read these letters, he came up with this uh, remarkable revelation. And we'll read a little section that he would have read from Ephesians 2, 7 to 9. So in uh, this is what Paul writes. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God not by the result of works, so that no one will boast. And Luther realized that God's grace meant his undeserved favor was poured out on us. Paul was saying it was immeasurable and no more desperately trying to please this unpleasable being, this unpleasable judge in the sky. He's already pleased with us in, in Christ. Did we need forgiveness from our sins? Absolutely. But Christ has done it. We can't earn our forgiveness in that way. Christ has done it. And he realized the kindness of God and the grace of God. And it absolutely blew his mind. And that's what pre- precipitated him uh, hammering his 95 theses on the on the door of the, the Wittenberg uh, chapel. Um, he didn't have to work anymore in that sense. He was saved by grace. And I guess there's a pause there. Have you realized the same thing? Have you fully understood the grace of God? Have you realized that God looks with pleasure and favor upon you? If not, you need to understand the grace of God, his grace towards you. You haven't got to earn his favor through religious works and activities. No, you have been saved by grace. And as you put your faith in what Christ has done, it will transform you. And and once Luther got this and began preaching it, uh, uh, joined by many others, it revolutionized Christianity, and it's called. It was called the Reformation, and and it swept through Europe. It swept through the Christian world, and suddenly everyone was talking about it. We're saved by grace, not by works. The revelation of what Christ had actually achieved on the cross was phenomenal, breathtaking transformation to uh, the to the, the Christian uh, faith, taking it back to its roots, roots to what Christ had actually done, what the early church. Have believed and removing so much of the corruption that had crept into the church. Now, the Catholic Church of its day pushed back and they used James's little letter as the linchpin of their arguments. James, they said, shows us it's not just faith, but it's works that we need. And, and of course, by works, they meant, you know, the selling of indulgences and they were justifying some of the practices that had uh, gone on. They were trying to maintain the power balance that they had over the hearts and minds of people. Uh, and Luther then came out swinging and he called James's letter a letter of straw. That's what he said. He said it's, it's a second class letter in the New Testament. He didn't deny that it was probably authentic, but he said it's second class. He's, he argued that, you know, it really shouldn't be taken in the same weight and the same seriousness as Paul. He said there's some good things that James says, but really it's a, it's a letter of, uh, of straw. And, um, and so what we'll see then, actually, as we look at this, we're going to, uh, study this letter and we're going to ask, is, is he right? Was he right? Is James a letter of stor- a straw? Is it relevant to us today? We're going to study it over the next few weeks, but particularly today, we're going to look at one of the key teachings of J- James and we're going to see this is a, a key battleground for the interplay between faith and works. In fact, rather than being opposed to Paul, James was actually supporting what Paul says and, and helping uh, believers avoid all sorts of errors in their faith. We need James and his words to understand and to con- to bring into context some of what Paul writes. And for those who like a bit of harmony and a bit of unity, you'll be pleased to know that uh, actually over the years since that early d- division, that many uh, much repentance has happened in the Catholic Church, that much of the abuses of the day have been repented of, that many Protestant and Catholic believers today would agree on those matters, that they would genuinely believe that we follow Christ 
uh, and that we're saved by faith and that, um, as we'll see from the letter of James, that there's a whole interplay between faith and works that we have to understand. And there's a lot lot more unity, lots of differences still, but lots more unity than there ever was before, for those who like a bit of harmony, as we all should. So let's read a little section from James, shall we, and then we'll talk about it. So here we go. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, you've got faith and I've got deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's, there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were worked together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So let's do a couple of things. Firstly, let's lay a foundation to what James is saying. And then I want us to look at four, uh, three things that give us a framework to what real faith is actually is. So foundation, to understand James and how it fits with Paul, you've got to understand that there were two errors that were fighting for the hearts and minds of people in the early days of the church. In fact, two errors that still fight for the hearts and minds of followers of Jesus today. On the one hand, you had legalism. It's the belief that our works are what earn us a place at God's table. It's about duty and obligation and outward religious acts that please God. And it tends to produce an uptight, joyless believers that see God as this dark dictator ready to to send in the hit squad if they put a foot wrong. And you know you're a legalist if people don't want to invite you to the party because you will ruin the atmosphere when you get there. That's a legalist and that's legalism. That's one error. But on the other side, you have license. And license argues that you don't need to do anything to please God. He saved us and that's it. So go and enjoy yourself and forget about worrying about sin and serving God and all that stuff. And that's what license would teach. And it it tends to produce lazy, irreverent, compromised believers who don't look any different to the world around them and see God as the party God who just wants everyone to have a good time and be happy. And you know you're in license when people don't want to invite you to the party, but for a very different reason. It's because they're worried that when you get going, the police are going to end up being called. That's how to know that perhaps you've slipped into license. So Paul and James are both actually fighting for grace, but they're doing it for different angles. And this little table hopefully will show you uh, what I mean by that. But Paul's writing for a different reason. He's combating legalism, the belief that one may earn salvation by good deeds, whereas James is combating license. He's combating a superficial faith that's got no effect on your life. Someone who says, oh, I believe in Jesus. I can just live my own life the way I want to. And James is saying, no, you can't. Your faith should make a difference to your life. Paul is warning against people who've got no faith, whereas James is warning against those who've got a dead faith that doesn't produce any fruit. They had a different meaning of the word works. When Paul uses this word works, he's mainly about talking about the works of the law. Uh, in those days, that was circum- circumcisions for, for males and, uh, and other religious activities. And he's saying these things that you used to do as Jews cannot earn you salvation. 
But James is talking about Christian works. He's saying works that are good deeds that are the product of your faith and your salvation. And they're giving different advice. Paul is talking about how to become a believer, whereas James is talking about how to behave as a believer. They're not contradicting one another. They're both arguing for grace. They're both arguing against legalism and against license, but they're doing it in different ways. And you can see the best description of this by actually looking at Paul's writings and seeing if you think that he agrees with James. And I think you'll find he does, because this is the passage that we read earlier. But let's read the next verse. For grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And there you see it in that little uh, little passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. You see the three things that Paul and James are looking at. They're looking at faith, a grace that that's how we're saved. And it's through our faith. And that produces our works. We're saved by grace, we're saved through faith, and we're saved for works. And it's critical that we don't get those out three out of order, because if you start trying to earn your salvation by works, then you get it all wrong. But if you receive it as a gift of God, and if you receive that by faith, that will produce an output. It will change the way you live your life. And instead of living for yourself, you start to live as a response to Jesus and what he's done. So that's the backdrop. That's the foundation. And James has then got some really key things to teach us about faith. We live in a world where faith is continually challenged. How do we know that our faith is genuine? How do we know that it's a real faith? Many people claim to be a Christian today, and yet many live no different to the world around them. How do we know that our faith is for real? Well, James addresses those questions and he gives us a framework for what our faith should look like if we're genuinely followers of Christ. So this is what he says. He says, firstly, real faith is more than what we say. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? What we say is important. The Bible says if we confess our sins that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised from the dead, we will be saved. So confession, what we say is important, an important component of real faith. But James says real faith is more than what we say. Many who claim to be Christians today and many famous people you'll see making claims to follow Christ. And yet, actually, their lifestyle doesn't match up. You might know people and you might even be someone like that. And you realize as you're listening to this, I say that I'm a follower of Jesus. But what meaningful difference does that make make to my life? And Jesus said the same. He said, Listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's the one who does the will of my father. He also said this to those who are listening to him. Now that you've heard these words, you'll be blessed if you do them. Some people, as soon as you mention the word obedience, claim, oh, it's just legalism. But Jesus wouldn't agree with that. He would say, no, no, it's legalism if your obedience is trying to earn my favour. But if you realise you have my favour, that I've saved you by grace, then that obedience should be a natural fruit of choosing to follow me. We can claim to be a Christian, but not really be a Christian. And James is saying real faith, what you say is important, but he's saying no, no, it has to be followed by something. It has to have an outworking in our lives. Real faith is more than what we say. And James said, real faith is more than what you feel. Real faith has got feelings. It feels like something. There is an affection and emotion that comes with real faith. When we finally come to 
know Christ. It should warm our hearts. It should it should fill us with life and joy. But but James says it's more than what you feel. This is what he writes in James 2.15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Real faith is more than just feelings of warmth and compassion for uh, uh, for people around us. It actually produces something, said James. I love uh, uh, Snoopy. And I remember that little cartoon with Charlie Brown and Linus, a cold December day, and uh, and they're all warmly bundled up. And they see Snoopy um, standing outside in the cold. And Charlie Brown says to Linus, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? And Linus says, I'll say he does. And maybe we better go over and come for him. And so they clump over, the snow's falling all around them, and Charlie Brown says to Snoopy, be of good cheer, Snoopy. And Linus agrees, yes, be of good cheer. And with that, they hike off down the street, wrapped in their uh, um, warm clothes, leaving Snoopy freezing in the, in the snow. And James says real faith is not like that. Real faith has feelings and responds to those feelings. It does something about them. It's generous. It wants to give. That's why as we take up our offering today, uh, and we say it every every year, we don't give out of a heart of duty. That's legalism. But if you don't give just because you don't feel like it, we well, are probably slipping into license. No, we, we give to this offering and we give in general because of what Christ has done for us. We give as a response. That's real faith, a response to what Christ has done. So this is what James said. Real faith is more than what you say, although what you say is important. Real faith is more than what you feel, although what you feel is important. Real faith is shown by what you do. And this is the crux of the text from James that we've looked at. Real faith will come out in how we live our lives. And he tells this story of Abraham who offered up his son, even though the son wasn't actually put to death. God asked him to offer up his son as if he were going to be. And and Abraham, even though he didn't understand what God was going to do, later it says that he believed that God could raise him from the dead. He didn't get it. It didn't seem like the God that he knew that would do this. And yet he willingly took his son to the altar. And at the last minute, God told him he didn't have to offer him up. He was just It was just a test of Abraham's faith. And James points this out and says, Abraham wasn't just saying someone who said he believed in God. He actually was willing to obey what God asked him to do. James says it's like a, a body without a spirit. If you've got... Um, uh, faith but no deeds it's empty is is void is 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 of no account it profits one nothing he's not contrasting faith and works but he's contrasting faith that has works and faith that doesn't have any works and he's saying faith that's got no outcome no difference where your life looks exactly the same to the person who doesn't follow christ who lives next door james says that's not real faith at all that's not real faith at all you know, when a couple marry and they say, till death do us part, how do they know they both mean it? I mean, how do they know? Well, the only way to know really is by the way they live their lives, by the way they treat one another, by the way they avoid um, relationships with other people, by the way they commit and covenant. But ultimately, you can only really know when one of them sits at the deathbed of the other at the end and then says it really was until death do us part. R- real faith is like that. It has an outworking in our daily lives. And at the end of the day, it will be testified that that was genuine faith. Excuse me. Do you really mean it when you say, Jesus, I'm following you? Do you really mean it when you say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life? Do 
you really mean it when you say, Jesus, I want to choose to obey you and serve you forever. Do you really mean it? Because James says, if you really mean it, then it's going to make a difference to your life. Jesus says, if you really mean it, you'll not just hear these words, you'll obey them. You'll put them into practice. You'll embody my words and make them come alive. So as we give to this offering today, let's do it from a place of real faith. We're not going to give to earn God's favour. You have God's favour. He is already pleased with you. He's already delighting with you because if you're a follower of Jesus, then he's already given you his delight and his pleasure and his favour in Christ. That's real faith when you understand that. I'm not just going to feel, ah, well, I hope you don't just feel, ah, well, whatever. Don't fancy it, so I won't give. Honestly, I think you might be uh, slipping into licence. It's worth thinking, isn't it, as we take any opportunity to give, to think before the Lord and say, God, what are you calling me to? What are you asking me to do? And to respond to that out of gratitude for what he's done. That's real faith. James's challenge to us this morning is, do you have real faith? You can say the right things, you can feel the right things. It's all important, but when the rubber hits the road, will you do the right things? Will you live it out? It's not saying that we won't mess up. Of course we will, but it's not saying that we will, we haven't got salvation. We don't do certain religious duties. No, no, we're saved by grace through faith. But if we are saved by grace through faith, then it will produce action in our lives. Our faith is to be an action-producing faith that, that is not empty, but it's full of life and full of energy and full of um, the, the life of the Spirit and the life of God flowing through us. That is real faith. Brilliant. Thanks so much for listening. That should be our lifestyle. And I'd encourage you as you uh, um, take a moment to review um, your giving towards this offering, I'd, I'd encourage you to respond from that place. I'd encourage you to th- to think about it's because of what Christ has done for me that I want to give to uh, build some churches and plant some churches in Azerbaijan or places I'm never going to go to. It's because of what Christ has done for me. I want to give to support the homeless. It's because of what Christ has done for me. I want to support my church family to help with the increasing costs. It's because of what Christ has done for me. That's real faith, putting it into action, not earning, but not neglecting, but instead giving as a response to what Jesus has done for us. So let's give in that spirit. And I thank you so much for listening and for joining with us in this adventure of real faith. God bless you.